Our world is always so rush, rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another show of Might Radio. And we have, as always, another guest for you today. But before I bring the guest on, I wanted you to know that technology is sometimes really fun because this next guest I really met through that I was, as you all know, with a campaign with the Ball of Human Kindness. And Camille Fields saw me on television, contacted me instantly through Facebook. And through that, we started talking about bullying and what we as parents, because she's a parent, can do. And I was so interested and I found Camille's story so compelling about her past and what she thinks of bullying that I instantly asked her, would you like to come on my radio show? Because you have an aspect of looking at bullying from a total different angle than I do as not only a parent, but having experienced this in your past. Camille, thank you for coming on the show. Hello, Gabriella. Thank you. I, I appreciate you inviting me to be a, uh, a guest on your show. It's a great well, it was it was so much fun in talking, and you picked up the phone totally spontaneous, and together we just started a conversation. And I think that's what this radio show is all about. It's about reaching out to others, and the big quest for me is awareness on human kindness instead of all being scared of each other and ridiculing each other and having intolerance, and when you talked about your story and being a, from a multiracial ethnicity background, I said, I want to know more about your journey because there's so many children that I reach out there that are today struggling in this multicultural world, and like I said to you jokingly, but it's not really a joke. It's a melting pot that hasn't really melted. So, Camille, just for the listener, t- tell us a little bit about your background so that we know where you're coming from. Okay. Well, I um, I was born. I was raised in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and um, where I mostly went to school with um, children that were not as uh, didn't have a multicultural background such as myself. I moved there. My parents moved there in about the sixth grade and um, moved to the other side of the nation um, in Baltimore, Maryland, about 15 years later as an adult. So most of my childhood, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. And, and but but right there, you were, you had mixed parents. Is that the story, Camille? Yes. Yeah, so, but that cannot have been easy back then in Salt Lake. I mean, I have never been in Salt Lake. I would love to go. It's on my route with the ball, but I haven't been there yet. So I can imagine that back then it wasn't that multicultural. So you had a lot of incidents happen in schools, didn't you, about bullying? We did, and and just to kind of give you an idea, the diversity there, it just really was not there. Um, Just to give you an idea, back then, I grew up about 85 through 95, 
uh, time frame, and there was maybe about 7% of the population had an ethnic background of African-American heritage, Hispanic heritage, things of that sort, whereas now I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's more of 30 to 40% um, multiracial. So just to kind of give you an idea of uh, what it was like there, I was the only African-American uh, girl in my school, elementary, junior high, and high school. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, what, were, were your parents uh, born in Utah? My mother, my mother was actually uh, born in Portland, Oregon, and was okay. adopted at birth with her twin sister in uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. So she mostly grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, I remember her telling me stories about her growing up, and she didn't even meet uh, a person of color of any sort—Hispanic, African American, Asian. Uh, until she was 12 years old. So that kind of gives you an idea. She was born in the 50s, and, uh, you know, she was in her mid-teens in the 60s. So that just kind of gives you another picture of how things were uh, back then. Well, that that's actually quite amazing, especially you, you got to understand when I'm listening to you, the world has changed so much. Every school I come into, there are so many ethnicities that it's, at the one hand, it's amazing and beautiful, but at the other hand, it also creates a lot of problems. But for the listener out there, and tell me about your father. He was not born in Salt Lake, right? I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where my father was from. Um, but I didn't really have a lot of experience there. So when I did visit, it was almost like a culture shock. I loved it, but of course my parents didn't, didn't want us to, um, grow up in, in Brooklyn, New York. No, which I can imagine too. It's probably much more fresh air. That's kind of what, how I perceive Salt Lake, uh, wholesome, right? Somewhere mm -hmm. where you can yeah. raise kids and where you don't have to be scared and, you know, that kind of place. So that right. sounds pretty normal. But when we were talking, one, one of the things that struck me about your story is, is the pain that you had to go through to become the person that you are today. And that always makes me sad. It really does because it's, it's just sad that we have to go through pain to live in this diverse world and to find our little spot, our little niche inside of it to feel comfortable. And what I'm really interested in, uh, Camille, is that you explain a little bit about the pain because for a lot of listeners, they've never even thought about a different ethnicity or what they go through. And I believe the more we can share our personal stories in that, the less people will be fearful of other ones just because of a skin color. And I agree, and I think that's why I have so much admiration and was just so excited to be a part of this cause and raising awareness because I don't think... A lot of people do not realize the effects that children have on identity and the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going through school where... Uh, people had a certain type of hair and a certain color of hair and, uh, you know, a, a certain type of background. They didn't really understand where I was coming from. My my hair was very curly and a little difficult to manage at times. And my mom, being Hispanic and Scottish, 
she didn't really know how to do my hair. She did the best that she could. But a lot of times that meant braids and, you know, things of that nature because gel really wasn't even that popular back then either. And, no. uh, you know, so when I went to school, kids would look at me strange, like, what, what is on her head? <laughs> what is going on with those knots in her head? And, um, you know, and people would, kids actually would make jokes. And, uh, you know, my complexion is more of like a caramel color. It's not a real dark complexion. So they were confused with, you know, our kids would ask me, you know, what, what are you? And, you know, some of the meaner kids, you know, would call me Vibra and, you know, all kinds of different names and giraffes and things like that because they just couldn't identify with me. I was different. And Be- because so you didn't I internalized, fit in the box. I internalized that. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with that information. I was the oddball. I was, I didn't understand. I couldn't identify. And <clears throat> I think the pain lied where I couldn't get my hair to do what the other girl's hair was doing. And so I didn't feel as pretty as they were. And as a child, and now as an adult, I understand what that is. And I, you know, it's unfortunate that I had to go through that, but it it's led me to being able to share my story with other people now to just kind of raise awareness to, you know, really think about the differences of kids in school and, and what's going on just because they look different or... um you know, walk a different way and things like that. It, other children have to embrace kids' individuality and uniqueness. And just really, I think as a world, we have to learn how to genuinely love each other for our, our kindness or what we provide in this world or our intelligence, our motivation, um, so that we can identify with each other and live together better than what we're doing right now worldwide. But you said something really interesting, and you you said it fun too. It made me smile immediately. The oddball, right? And when we're talking, I was the oddball like you, and so <laughs> I, I I I'm just. It's not really a question, but I'd love your your sense of it. The oddball is because, like you said, they don't know where to place you. So where do children? What is your take on where do children get this sense? that you have to fit into that little mold, the little box that we all talk about. Is it something you think that's ingrained within our culture to want people to fit in a box? Because then and only then can we recognize them? I think, I think it's, a, it's a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. And we see it across the board in 2013, 2014. We see children attacking each other from all different types of races. It's no longer, you know, Caucasian and uh, African-American or Asian and uh, Hispanic. It's, it's across the board. Everybody is kind of lashing each other for whatever kinds of reasons. And they're just not aden- identifying with each other. And back to um, what, what you're asking, Gabrielle, is, it is a learned behavior. It's what they learn from their children and their parents teaching them and what their grandparents, which grew up, you know, in the 50s and 60s, were still haven't really outgrown that ignorance yet. But I also feel that it's very natural, like in, in my case, just a little bit like yours, I'm adopted, right? And, and, and so when I said to children, this is my mom, and, and you show a tall lady with light skin, blue eyes and blonde hair, and I'm this dark little blob, um, that is for them like, 
there must be something in their brain that just goes, that's not possible. Uh, I never heard of that, you know? And, and, and the sense of, you know, just like we know that a, an object, you know the little kids when they play with those objects, uh, it's round and then it's supposed to fit in that little little round spot and you can't get it into the little square spot. It's almost <laughs> like that. The child then thinks, her mom is white. Where, where does Gabriella belong? Do, do you see what I'm trying to say? So it's learned, but it's also to make them feel comfortable saying, but why does she have such a funny mom? She is supposed to have a mom like me, right? So nice. they identify because often we look like our parents, right? And especially with adoptees, we don't have that at all. And in your case, if you say that your mom was Hispanic, I can totally imagine w what that is like. And and now, and this is, uh, we're going to go in a commercial break, but it's something I really want to address, um, is the across the board, how come we're now nasty to everyone, literally? It doesn't really matter who anymore, but the moment we don't understand, we're just nasty to them, right? Right. So let's hold that thought. We'll be right back after this commercial break, everyone. Okay. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G A B R I E L L A V A N R I J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and we're here today with Camille Fields. And if you're just joining, 
Camille Fields is a mother and has a beautiful adopted child. And she's talking about her past growing up as a multicultural ethnicity um, and growing up in Salt Lake and everything basically that's going on with our society, with meanness, bullying, uh, abuse that she hears of today, but that she had to go through too, and especially name-calling. Camille, just before the break, we were talking about, I really like that expression that you use, that it's a learned behavior across the board for children to be nasty to someone that doesn't seem to fit in the perfect mold. And, and something here that my manager is saying too, do you feel that a multicultural family teaches learned behavior against what we call the normal families, having negative attitudes about them? Do you think that's something that we do without even knowing it? I think, I think for some reason people are fearful of the unknown and mm -hmm. the unexpected. I yeah. don't want to go off track, but this is the same that we have with people that have uh, different sexual preferences or religious differences. We don't like we don't like to like people that are different from us for some reason. It's a, a, worldwide, and I I'm not sure why, Gabrielle. <laughs> I'm not sure why. I, the, I, I agree totally with we've you. Lost, we've lost the genuine kindness and we, just listen to understand instead of just listening to respond or debate. But you know, Camille, when when we are fearful, and, and I seem to have been an expert at it when I was a kid, which isn't fun to say, but it's pretty truthful. I was pretty scared out there. And when you're scared, you always react to everything. It's like carrying this huge chip on your shoulder because you're so used to getting attacked for your looks or whatever it is that you don't fit in. And so you are, I'm of the opinion in every assembly, I ask the children, what is the one commonality all of us have that surpasses religion, ethnicity, and gender? And the answer is fear. So you already said it. And if we are fearful, if I'm fearful of my neighbor that comes, I'm just going to say something, that comes from South Korea, living in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, where there is a huge, huge community of um, Oriental people from Asia, then, then I shouldn't live there, right? <laughs> Because I'm scared of them. Or... My take on life is live there and learn who they are and then actually embrace their culture so that you learn not to be scared of it. That's kind of my answer to it. But what I like that you were saying about the fearful part, isn't that the same why we don't live in certain neighborhoods? You were saying you're a realtor and I really, really like what you said during the break. Could you repeat that for a second? Uh, sure. I was uh, I was relating to when I'm working with uh, my buyers, and they want demographic information in the area that they're looking at moving in. And you can look on Trilio, Zillow, FMLS, Georgia MLS, all of these websites to do demographic research. It has it broken down into ethnicity uh, areas, and you know, I'm not exactly sure how trustworthy these statistics are because we don't really know where this information is being gathered, but we're, we're trusting that the entity that develops the information is accurate. 
Well, and in all honesty, you know, as a realtor, we do uphold ethical uh, obligations as far as not steering people in a certain direction or de- deferring them from a certain area. And I have had clients say to me, you know, I don't want to be in a Hispanic neighborhood. You know, or I don't want to be in a neighborhood of this ethnicity. And I really have to, you know, remind them that it's illegal for me to, for me to do that. And to just try to go into further conversations to see, you know, why, why that is. And we've gotten into really good conversations from that. This is so funny. I would only choose a house or an apartment that I liked. I, I, I don't think I've ever looked at who was my neighbor. I mean, in, in my choice of renting or buying. That's that's quite intriguing what you're telling me because I never thought of that that people actually want neighborhoods where there's only um, one certain ethnicity. It it just seems totally that you would buy on the logic of your budget. No, I remember I remember as a child when my parents first moved to Salt Lake City and we weren't sure which neighborhoods they wanted to live in and that and you know a lot of people they will rent for a good year or two get a feel for the area and the schools before they actually decide to purchase. And I remember my parents would drive around looking for apartments back then. We didn't have the Internet. So you looked in a newspaper and you drove around you called on the phone, but people couldn't see your ethnicity by phone. And we would go and view the homes, and my sister and I would be so excited. You know, we'd each have our own bedroom, and we were just so excited. And we wouldn't get the house. Because after we went to go view it, and they saw that my mother was Caucasian and my father was African-American, they were afraid, and they wouldn't rent to my family. And I remember that. <laughs> Is that because so, we associate crime with, with that? I, Is that? I assume that they associate with whatever statistics they were raised in learning about African-American people or that they didn't agree with biracial relationships. I have uh, some clients that they don't want to rent to individuals that choose a different sexual preference than they do. (laughs) You would be surprised the ignorance that some people actually have on people just from the exterior of a person. Wow, that's I, I know that you're totally right. I mean, I know that otherwise I wouldn't be so passionate to try to eradicate it. But it's still, every time I hear it, Camille, it just shocks me that we haven't evolved. We're 2014. You, you'd think that with the Internet, our world should have all collided and come closer together. And sometimes it makes me sad that we're even further apart, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, but we have made some progress. I am opti- very optimistic, and going from where I came from in the 70s to now in the 20th century, I have seen drastic accomplishments. Uh, there has been a lot more diversity moving into Salt Lake City. You have sure. a lot of family members out there right now. Hello to everybody that's listening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, things have really changed. Unfortunately, Hurricane Katrina has really spread uh, a lot of multiracial people in different areas that otherwise they may have never moved there. Um, So I am optimistic, and of course this is why I'm, you know, I want to be a part of this cause and this movement to raise awareness and, you know, help people be more kind. How how do you believe that we could teach kindness? For one thing, by example. 
the children in our home, the children in our community, going out and being a part of what's going on in these schools. Our children are vital to our future. I agree totally. Thank you. Our I youth. love you. I love you instantly because I knew you thought that, but I wanted you to say it on um, radio because people actually think it, it is so complicated. And, and I would like people to know it is as simple as you just said, but you've got to do it and you've got to make it a choice in your life every day, never to have racial slurs in your home, to, to be as kind to your child as to teach your child to be as kind to you. Because you know, Camille, when I come out of assembly sometimes, I hear parents and kids talking to each other through their SUVs and the cars waiting. And it's not always kind. I'm sometimes shocked at what parents say to their children uh, through the window and vice versa. And I'm like, whoa, that can be a lot kinder, right? Because you just talked about right. living by example so it's it's it it starts there it starts by us raising children and being there and correcting them and showing them that it can be different every day i couldn't agree with you more i mean i remember thank goodness that i had a, a strong encouraging father and a very loving mother that mm -hmm. Even when I would come home frustrated with my hair because I tried to do a hairstyle and by the end of the day it was just a big bro puff and people were making fun of me. Uh, you know, my mom would tell me, you know what, baby? Some women have to pay hundreds of dollars to go have a curl perm put in their hair just so that they can have your natural curls and go to the tanning bed and lay outside for hours just to have your skin color. You know, I had that at home. And so that gave me, even if it wasn't my mother, if it was my aunt or if it was Somebody in the family, just hearing that. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be from your parent, but just hearing that, okay, you know what, I am okay. You know, <laughs> even though I'm different, these differences are okay. And yep. children need to know that their differences, whatever they may be, if they're just Absolutely. crooked teeth, <laughs> they need to know that that is not what is most important and what they but, can provide in this world and the direction that we're going. But you said something beautiful, and what you said is, you had that support when you come home. And I meet children that don't have that, where, where there is a disconnect in, in being able to come home and talk about what is really bugging you and what is making you really, really sad. And I believe that when children don't have that foundation, someone to lean on, we all need someone to lean on, from time to time that can encourage us and that can actually lift us back up so that we soar the next day. When we don't have that, when these children are missing that, I think that's where we have a lot of disconnect and sadness and suicides and, and, and attacks with guns and knives and, and, and it escalates. And that's the part where I would love to step in and, and teach these children, unfortunately, to do it by themselves, because I think it is possible to have the encouragement that you just said through a parent, but to give yourself that encouragement, too. That's what I try to teach out there, that you don't it, always... It, yes, go exactly, ahead. Exactly, Gabriella, because 
we have very skilled children. We have children with ideas that can create things and invent things and become presidents and become leaders and lead us in the right direction that our world needs to go. But if they're at home stuck, insecure, depressed because of they look a certain way or they speak a certain way or, you know, some, our, world, our world misses out on these great children because of they don't have somebody to talk to or somebody to give them that encouragement or that confidence or the influence. And um, so if you can't get it at home, I think us as a nation, it really does take a whole village. It really does take a whole world for everybody um, to encourage these children to uh, tap into their strengths. Yeah, absolutely. And with that thought, we'll be right back, everyone. And we're going into commercial break. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi everyone, and we're listening to our guest Camille Fields, and we're talking about being fearful, multicultural ethnicity, and bullying. Um, during the commercial I was talking about um, how, how we all seem to accept puppies that have different colors, shapes, and sizes that come out of litters, you know, when it has a white tail or one lopsided ear, and nobody seems to care. But when it's a child, we all care. And I'm going to give you the example. When everyone in a family has dark hair, for example, and one child is the redhead, and then everyone goes, oh, my gosh, where did that come from? And the more we say it as parents or an aunt or an uncle saying it, the more that child feels uh, that it can't fit into the family. What, what would you say? Why do we do that? 
I think some of us are just against the human race. I'm not sure. Again, it kind of goes back to uh, the first part of our conversation, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, we learn from what our parents teach us, and our parents learn from what their grandparents taught them. And it's just, it's a learned behavior and a pattern uh, that has to be broken. I just wonder sometimes, because if I look at my own brother and sister, we lived in a very very open world, we traveled a lot, and we all knew better, you know, not to be scared or fearful. But when I look at my brother and sister, they're, they're friends. It's often interesting when you look at the friends of people, isn't it, Camille? Because it's by their diversity of friends that you can see if they're truly diverse and multicultural themselves in the way they behave. But I think we still stay too much, too comfortable within our own little world. And we know they exist and we're tolerant, but we're not willing to go from the tolerance to the acceptance. That's what I see in today's world. We've, Like you said, we've made huge strides, but there's still this little part where we're not, you know, it's still a little bit where we say, oh, yeah, they're, they're foreigners. But the truth is, uh, the entire North America is made out of foreigners. I don't know if you've ever set foot in Canada, but if you fly to Toronto, I don't think you can find one Canadian-born person in Toronto. Oh, I haven't gone there yet, but I would love to. Okay. I think that our world has just, we live in an exterior world. We live in external judgment. and. And hopefully that's what this causes more to learn people from the inside of them and what they offer as their character and their personality. I always stress the importance to my daughter. Your character is more important than your exterior. And um, I'm hoping that people can just start to learn how to love people for their genuine personality and their character mm-hmm. rather than Absolutely. the external show. Because that's all we see on the TVs and the Facebook pictures and Instagram and everything is exterior. But we love the real thing. When we get to see it, we know it and we I think we trust it more. We actually really do. And I read a study based on the Boston Harvard, uh, the Harvard University in Boston that said that in 0.0 milliseconds, we have already judged in our head a human being. And I always say to the children, if our brain can do that, you know, because our brain is wired to do that, our hearts can stop our brain from judging because we know how terrible it feels to be judged. That's kind of what I try to say to the kids. And they have a hard time accepting it. But like you, I just keep reinforcing the message. And I kind of like that part. It's the brain that's wired to judge, but I don't think our hearts are wired to judge at all. What do you think of that? I think I think that's very true. I think it's uh, very important, and I love that you're getting into the schools and talking with these kids and giving them a valuable resource to learn another way of thinking um, mm-hmm. because we obviously have some really mean people still in the world that are... Why they are the way they are, we're not sure. But if we can even reach them to the point of trying to figure out why maybe they're unhappy or why they judge people uh, based on certain circumstances. 
I'm going to switch a little bit to schools because you are a mother. And I really love, you know, it's so seldom, Camille, that I get to speak to the parents. And I, I, I know the kids are passionate about change and being the difference. And they really want to be, but we need the parents on board. And I, I, I know that you're out there with your daughter and that you do things for the schools on a volunteer basis. basis sorry. And so I, I'm, I just need your take on this. Do we need to go back to basics in school and have a class taught on manners and etiquette of how to behave for these children if the parents can't show it to them? Is, is that a possibility? What do you think we need to implement into the school that we're missing right now for these children, for this new generation? Well, I think teachers are the forefront of yep. the, school pan- the, the school platform. They engage with these children, and they know what's going on in these schools every single day. Um, I think it, I think it would be a little bit difficult to have, uh, you know, the school boards and that approve a class and to have children actually go to a class to learn kindness. Um, but we definitely have to tap into this some way because social media is kind of taking taking storm. And a lot of children are being hurt uh, by not having the resource and not being able to help them with their insecurities and securities. Um, maybe some type of a club or a, a group. I know some of the schools do they have the you know band and soccer clubs and chess clubs and all these different kinds of clubs. Maybe we could have some sort of a, a support club or the children. They need somewhere to an outlet, somebody to talk to. Like I have. I had home. I had my big sister. <laughs> I had my mom. I had my dad. But not a, not all the kids have that at home. Absolutely. Um, so if they had some sort of, I know we talked about um, maybe some sort of a hotline or a number that they can call, and there definitely needs to be something there that that's obviously missing based on the statistics of four teenagers committing suicide per week uh, based on bullying, and uh, I think. You know, bullying in itself, just the name of bullying, I think they don't realize what cyberbullying is. <laughs> but it's no, real. absolutely. Obviously, our statistics are showing that children are literally killing themselves because of these insecurities. And from kids, social, what's going on on social media, this is real. And our, our world, like I said earlier, our world is missing out on these these children that could have invented a cure for AIDS or cancer or something. Absolutely. But, you you know, I agree with you that educators are at the forefront because they see our children more than we see them. Um, but they often say that they are clueless that, you know, when I do an assembly, they go, we didn't know this child was being bullied. We didn't know. And they see these children every day. I think the children that are victimized are so good in hiding it, in, in, in putting a, really all the walls up, what I call the invisible barriers that these children have to defend themselves. And so they kind of fall through the cracks by not being seen. And because they fall through the cracks, 
that's why we have all these suicides because I wouldn't want to be that parent or the teacher that is the last one to talk to the child that say not today sorry can you come back tomorrow because I'm you know I have to grade papers and the next morning there's there's no more child and and I think we're at that level where we do not know when it is so important to talk to that one child before it's too late and and I believe with you wholeheartedly. I'm trying to create an app, by the way, for children that would be the last hotline. But I need that nationwide. I need a lot of people on board to make this happen, of course. Um, but where children have this last, instead of a suicide hotline, but a hotline to vent where you don't do it through social media, but where you can actually say why you are so sad. And what is it in you that wants to commit suicide? Why are you so disconnected? But that would take, like you just said earlier, not just a village. This would take our 50 states and this would take legislation and every single law and order to work together to make this happen. And uh, right. I hope that the ball of human kindness can do it. Um, and, and I just encourage you even more and anybody that's listening, listening um, just like recycling. I remember as a young child when recycling was just starting, going to the grocery store, and, oh. you know, people were so frustrated with the recycling and doing the, the bags and the bins and things like that, and it was very unheard of. But it took just a little bit of a spark to ignite people and acknowledge and awareness. And now recycling is a huge part of our world. I don't know of anybody that actually doesn't even have a recycle bin anymore or have a recycle truck coming through their neighborhood once or twice a week. Yeah. It's just, I just encourage people to continue to stay contagious with this cause. I'm trying. I, uh, there are days I'm discouraged, but on the whole, <laughs> I am uh, 200% in. And when I get discouraged, I go to 150%. So I always stay pretty <laughs> engaged, to tell you the truth. But sometimes I feel, and, and this is my question to you as a parent, Camille, what can I do better to get the parents involved to come to my free assembly for them in the evening because when I do let's say that I do three schools in Atlanta I always organize with school that I one of the three schools that the parents of all three schools can come and visit me in the evening just to learn what it is that I said to the children and to, for them to reinforce it what can I do better to get parents to come out Camille well for me I know my daughter's school, They, when they're having events or dances and things of that nature, they will not only put it in the newsletter, but they also call the parents and leave voicemail messages. For me, that has worked very well because I'm very, very busy. Uh, and it helps to just know ahead of time. It helps to know a flyer of some sort or a phone call. And, you know, I'm more than willing and able to help as much as I can. If there are any parents out there in the Atlanta area, specifically in Snellville or Gwinnett, please contact me, email me, because I would love to have other parents' involvement. And I think it's just raising awareness. I just talked to you for the very first time and even knew of your cause. I guess it was maybe about a month ago, but I didn't know. So 
now that I know, I can be contagious with the parents that are at my daughter's school. Uh, my daughter had a school, uh, an event last night at a school dance. And, uh, you know, so I went a little early to pick her up and see what other kind of parents are there. And I wish I had some sort of a T-shirt or maybe the little cushy balls. I'm making them. I'm making them. That I could kind of pass <laughs> the stress out and, balls. You know, yep. and, and I think just letting parents know. I don't, I don't think you've been to my daughter's school before, but... You know, as a parent that uh, is trying to be more involved, I just didn't know. So I think communication will definitely smoke out the motivated parents. And then from there, we can also target the children. Uh, what sparks their interest? What brings them to after school? Because I know when I picked up my daughter from her school dance yesterday, there were probably a thousand kids everywhere. So we know how to entertain them and we know how to bring them. Music is viral <laughs> absolutely so I, I, um, I, I, we'll brainstorm I also, more and, and hopefully we can get some, some more ideas and get more parent involvement one of the things I want to get out there to um, Camille very much I'll start posting it more and more on social media is that I don't want parents to feel a stigma um, saying oh my gosh I have a child that's victimized or have a child that is the bully I don't want them to feel bad either way because wholeheartedly I believe that it's a question of communication with the children both the bully and the victim because first of all I believe that a lot of children strike preemptively first of all and that becomes the bully and then you also have children that have been victimized, for example, in grade one through five or one through six, and then in, in middle school decide to become the bully. We have that too. And so I always feel that some parents really don't want to come because they, they believe indirectly their kid is the bully, whereas communication is of the essence. And my assemblies are never about name calling or getting a parent to feel bad. This is about together making and being the difference for these children. So mm -hmm. I feel that that might also be one of the reasons that parents don't come. And, and that yeah. makes me, again, really sad that they don't come. But um, we'll, we'll do our best. Now, in the school of your daughter, and not to put you on the spot here, do you feel that there are bullying incidences that you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes, absolutely, without a doubt. <laughs> so how prevalent, yeah, no, I, I'm just asking because I speak to parents that say, no bullying at our school. And and I'm just always shocked at that because, wow, <laughs> I, I don't think it exists. Wherever there are kids, there's trouble <laughs> because right. we I, have I mean, all these tools. I, my, my daughter has been, you know, a victim of bullying and some of her friends have been victims of bullying as well. I. I talk to my daughter. I mean, I try daily, especially <laughs> parents. But, you know, I do ask her questions. You know, how was school today? What's going on? You know, what are your friends like? You know, and I, you, know you have to ask questions. You have to, you have to take the time. This is not at least an hour a day, 10 minutes a day at the dinner table or, you know, bedtime or whatever, regardless of what age they are. My daughter's 13 years old. I still will go in and tuck her in and tell her I love you. And, you know, it builds her security and her confidence in a, in a strange kind of way because that's what my mom did. And um, <clears throat> targeting, back to what you were saying, targeting the, the bullies themselves and the parents that are uh, bullies of these parents, these children are bullies 
for a reason. And by bullies, I mean, some children, I think, they may not even realize that they're bullying. My daughter was um, outside uh, playing on, on the courtyard when they had the gym, and one of the boys, you know, was trying to play with her in that, and she really, you know, she wasn't interested or whatever, and so he you know, threw the ball to hit it directly on her head and then laughed, you know. And the kid may not have even realized that that really hurt my daughter's feeling. I mean, physically, yeah, of course it hurt, but the kid may not even realize, you know, that's not kind. That really hurt somebody's feeling. And take that kid aside and say, you know, do you realize what you did? <laughs> yeah. But it takes either that parent, that school official, that teacher, or somebody to really be paying attention. And to take the kid aside and, and find out what's really going on with that kid for him to do that. But I hear from every school that we have too few teachers, too few counselors to make all this happen. And and I feel that that's just another excuse just not to step up our standards and values because I believe that, you know, you have teachers and you know that too that are just amazing and that are willing to make that huge difference out there. So, and and you as a parent are are amazing too because you're not your typical mold that just sees them at dinner and then basically doesn't ask them questions or the few questions that are asked are more about uh, their performance at school than what they're experiencing at school and that's really I think where there's another awareness that we need to bring out. The children are not only monkeys that need to learn math and everything but we need to also ask questions how they feel at school and I think that's a little bit lacking too at least that's what I hear from the children's side. Mm -hmm. And ask them how they feel about politics and things things like that you know get their mind thinking worldwide. You know, I asked my daughter the other day, what do you think about that plane disappearing? You know, I want to know what she's thinking about and, you know, stimulate her brain to start thinking worldwide. What are the, what are the reasons this could be? And how do you feel about Ukraine? Do you feel that, you know, we should be involved in it? They, our, our children are adults in training. These are our presidents in training. These are our congressmen in training. We've got to stimulate their brain now. I mean, I know we want to target the parents and stimulate the parents as well, but sometimes, <laughs> no, honestly, that's a lost cause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so sometimes all we do have is stimulating that child's brain. <laughs> we, we do. That is all we have in living by example. But you also know how easy it is uh, for a child, our children, to suddenly, and this is what I tried to teach, to to not be that bystander. A lot of the hosts that I meet say that they, after meeting me, that they talk to their children. Is there ever bullying at school? And most children answer, yeah, we see it daily, but it's not me. And then, you know, I think that's where this show could maybe help parents that when your child says that, we need to ask these children to become active witnesses and to sit next to that girl or the boy in the cafeteria that always sits alone, even if we don't say a word, even if we just smile and sit there and eat our sandwich, because that person will feel so happy from the inside that there is another human being actually sitting at their table. That I believe that's the little ways that we as parents can 
help um, uh, combat the bullying at school and the kindness just by sitting there. Because I hear this nonstop from every um, person that I meet that's an adult says, yes, there's bullying going on, but my child says it doesn't happen to her, so she just lets it happen. So it's it's the stepping up, apparently, that we can't do. Is that something that you hear from your daughter, too? Absolutely, um, Gabriella. Uh, you know, I do ask my daughter the question, you know, well, who do you eat lunch with? I really want to know. <laughs> I okay. had such a, a bad experience in school. I didn't try out for cheerleading. I didn't go on the dance club. I didn't, you know, I didn't do all of these fun activities that a lot of other people now as I'm an adult and is living in a different state. Um, you know, I kind of missed out on a lot of that stuff because I was so insecure. I didn't think that I could do it. I didn't think that the girls liked me, you know, things like that. So I definitely think that that's important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I do, too. I think it's it's crucial. Is there um, a particular story? We have a few minutes left. We have about five minutes left before the show closes that you would like to share um, a, about, uh, we understand that you're passionate about making a difference, too, which you are doing in your daughter's life and in her in her school environment. Is there anything you want to share that her school or that you are doing to combat this bullying or something that you've experienced that you want to share? Uh, well, for the most part, I think generally I just want to try to be as contagious as you are, Gabriella, <laughs> and, <laughs> just trying to <laughs> and just trying to get people to understand what bullying is. I don't, I don't think that you know a lot of people really understand, like you said, that their child may be the bully or just supporting the bully or not preventing the bullying. Um, so I just want to encourage people to be contagious and to join this cause with us. Okay, and then um, I think one of the things that I'll just repeat it to you, but I know that you know, but maybe there are listeners out there that don't know. The slogan of the Ball of Human Kindness is so simple. It is one moment, one person, one kindness is all it takes to help someone, adult, child, anyone, to go from a negative space to a positive place. It takes seconds. And let's go back to the example just sitting next to someone in a cafeteria, just sitting there. You don't have to say a word. I can understand that you're scared, but tell your children out there to do that. And you as an adult in the workplace, if you have a colleague that you know nothing about, you have no idea if he or she has children, you have no idea where they live, but they're there day in, day out at work at the coffee machine, talk to them. Just find out something. And I always break the ice, but I don't know about you, Camille. I always break the ice with food because I think <laughs> food is such a, you know, who can refuse a cookie? <laughs> Nobody. Not me. I mean, I, I, food, and music I, is, food and music is our universal language. Yeah. It honestly just is. <laughs> see that you heard this beautiful song yesterday. Do you like country? Do you... I think anything like that. I remember till this day a young girl of six that shared her chocolate. It was Kit Kat. It had another name in Europe, but it was Kit Kat. And she shared, she broke it off. I still hear the sound. Whenever I see a child with Kit Kat, I remember that child that shared that with me. And 
she looked at my cookie in my hand that I didn't even like, Camille. And I just opened my hand and, you know, it was a little bit disgusting probably because I had crumbled the cookie a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, how children are. And it, my hands were warm, but I shared that cookie. I had it open and I gave her. And she looked at that cookie as if it was ice cream, man. She loved it. And I loved her Kit Kat. And so <laughs> that was how we broke the ice. And I do not... Till this day, I do not think that we had broken the ice if she had not done that. It was so natural and it was so... And we, we don't do that anymore. Even even at the coffee machine in companies, I don't see it. It's more gossip and what did one of our colleagues do wrong instead of just bringing the, the batch of cookies that our kids made or whatever it is. I think we... We, we miss the boat on that a lot. Just that simple communication with a cup of coffee and food or music, like you say. And a smile. You, you would be amazed what a smile can change somebody's life. I agree this totally. Simple but we smile. You, never, you never know what somebody's going through behind closed doors. But if you pay attention, if you really pay attention and look in somebody's eyes, a child's eyes, you can almost tell, tell their story. Yeah, I know if something is going on. So my involved. advice to parents <laughs> out there is do what Camille says. Turn off the TV. Tell your children that humiliating someone through your smartphone with a picture is not funny. It might get you temporarily a couple of friends at school that laugh with you, but they're not really your friends. It's not nice to do that. And tormenting someone by being rude and posting those pictures on social media in the long run won't get you any friends. But turn off the TV, be with your children, ask them to throw their smartphones on the kitchen table and, and share. And if you can't get that accomplished and your children really don't want to put the smartphone away, then ask them to teach you teach you the applications on the smartphone and there is a world out there that will open up and you will learn apps and things that you've never heard of and do it that way then and that way you can also guide your child in being nicer and kinder to others. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate